You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. And welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestral helping spirits and to mine. I call out to those people who lived well and died well and bring all that is good and true and beautiful in these ancestral lines into our world. And through our relationship with them, may we draw on the wisdom, the collective wisdom of humanity. May we draw on this energy to inform us in our lives. We are the living. And we call out to the ancestors to help us to meet the challenges of our time in new ways where innovation is absolutely necessary so that we do not continue to create the same problems. And let us reach to our ancestors also to help us to reinforce the old ways that are necessary to help support us each in being the best possible human being that we can be. We call out to these human ancestors to gather around us here today and to help us to do what must be done for those who are coming. And let us reach beyond the humans to those who have been here as the great web of life far longer than there was ever a human. We call out to these other beings who share life with us here on earth, these wise ones. We call out to them, reaching out to ask them to help us to understand our true nature. Help us to surrender to that which is deep and true and guiding our soul that we might take our place in this web of life as a blessing, as an energy that supports all life around us and helps to strengthen the diversity and the beauty and the gift that is this profound web of life that we all share. And so for our ancestors, human and non-human, we reach out to them and ask them to support us in our life here today. And as these ancestors gather round, let us gather ourselves from wherever it is we might be and draw ourselves into our mind, take another deep breath and draw ourselves into our heart, another deep breath and draw ourselves deep into our belly and take a moment to stop all the crazy multitasking of contemporary life and touch the earth with your hand or your mind, your heart. And let us give gratitude to the earth for this day, for the wonder of life itself, for the beauty and diversity and the possibility to be here in this day and grow and change to create and to bring our gifts to the world. We give deep, deep gratitude to the earth as we send our energy all the way down through all the layers of the earth, giving enormous gratitude as we go, reaching down into the center of the earth and giving thanks to those energies that are before all the abundance that we experience here on earth, all that makes life possible. Before that, we give gratitude for that energy. Gratitude for those things that draw their power from darkness, from stillness, from solitude and silence. And we reach deeply into those energies to draw the earth energy up as we would draw fresh water into ourselves on a hot, parched day. We draw the energy of the earth up into our bodies and we ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand who we are, where we stand and what we stand for in life. To understand what has true heart and meaning and build our life on those things. And to do that in a way that we remember to open our door to those who are different than we are, to invite them in to share a meal, and to allow ourselves to be challenged to become better versions of the men and women that we were born to be. 
And we give gratitude to the energy of the earth for helping us to understand connection within ourselves, connection with each other, connection with our environment, right relationship with that environment, and even the invisible world. And as we come into right relationship with all these things, may our day be blessed with a moment of feeling ourselves as part of that great oneness. And with that blessing in our hearts, let us draw our energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind and reach all the way up through the sky, out through the atmosphere, out through the cosmos and all the way beyond to that highest power. Whatever name you call it and whatever way you conceive of it, we connect to these radiant energies from above and we draw them into ourselves and into these proceedings, into our day. We call this energy in to bring in blessing, to bring in protection, to bring in the deep devotion and commitment that it takes to live in a good way and to call in inspiration and illumination and to call in the great benevolence of this universe. We draw these energies in moving them through our body and all the way down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we open ourselves to be that place where these two great legendary lovers, the sky and the earth, come together within us and awaken the spirit of our own heart. And may our heart awaken and open that crucible of transformation that lives in the human heart. Let us call up the fiery passions of our belly, and down the crystal clarity of our mind and let these energies dance, a passionate dance in our heart that we might find that third and most essential thing, some sense, some memory, some inkling of why you are here. What is your gift, your unique genius you have to bring to the world and may you find courage in that very same human heart to do something in this day, large or small, to bring your gifts into manifestation. For the enormous spirit help that we have to do this in every day, I give great thanks. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. And I'd like to give a special thank you to those of you who have set up your monthly payments for Why Shamanism Now to let your donation be there each month to support the foundation of the show. Why Shamanism Now is listener supported. It is only because of the humble donations of listeners like you who are moved by the show and allow yourself to be moved into action to help support the show to grow. And the month, those people who set their payments up monthly, often you don't hear your names thanked uh, each each week as we do a show, but I am deeply grateful for you. And I want those of you who, to know who have supported the show for years, we are deeply grateful for your sustained support, and we completely understand your need to check to move your funds now to support other causes that need your help in the world. Because Lord knows there are many, many things that need our help to change right now in our world. And it is my hope that others will move in behind you and continue the ongoing support of Why Shamanism Now. So those of you who want to know how to do that, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click on the support button, and scroll down. You can uh, donate any amount, large or small, from $5, $50, whatever. And uh, it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. So we are grateful for all of it. So thank you, everyone. So today, um, our show is The Way of the Leopard with John Lockley. So I'd like to thank our guest. John, welcome. Hi, Christina. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's good to have you back. For those of you that haven't noticed, we actually have an earlier show with John back from 2010, if you can believe that. <sighs> anyway, so John is here today to talk about his new book, which is right here on my desk. I'm touching it right now. It's beautiful. It's called The Leopard Warrior, A Journey into African Teachings of Ancestry, Instinct, and Dream. And it's published by Sounds True. So Leopard Warrior is a resonating memoir of an African lineage that encouraged readers to reconnect to their ancestors, their dreams, their higher senses, and their purpose in life. John and Sounds True have also created an audio course for this beautiful book, which is practice-based audio companion, which is entitled The Way of the Leopard. 
Meditations and Shamanic Practices from the Heart of Africa. And both are available at Sounds True, which is SoundsTrue.com. Now, John, for those of you that don't know, is one of the first modern white men in recent history to become a fully initiated Zosha Shamp. Um, Sangoma. His journey begins while working as a medic in the South African military towards the end of apartheid. Uh, he traveled extensive, uh, sorry, trained extensively under Zen master Subong in South Korea. Before returning back to post-apartheid South Africa, where he spent 10 years in apprenticeship with uh, his a medicine teacher, a Sangoma, from the Zosha tribe. And this is, this is the experience that is at the heart and the core of this book. And so this is largely what we'll be talking about today. Um, John now splits his time teaching and facilitating the way of the leopard. Um, and these are in retreats in South Africa, Ireland, Europe, and the United States. And if you want more information about how you could access that, you can go to johnlockley.com. And that's L-O-C-K-L-E-Y, johnlockley.com. And we are live today, so if you do have questions, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site, or just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and I would be happy to answer your questions or pass them along um, to John. So, uh, John... I would like to start today by jumping into um, that part of your story that really speaks to how this story is, a, is really evidence of how tribal ancestors of this land, and frankly it's happening on other lands as well, are recruiting ambassadors outside of the direct blood lineage to spread their wisdom and healing traditions in our world. And there's just a, in your story, there's an interesting, you know, sequence of your dreams and your teacher's dreams and how all these things finally, you know, brought you two together. So would you be willing to share just how that whole voice of the ancestors comes to us through dreams and um, changes our path, basically? Mm. Yes, um, it's a big question. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think it depends on each person's calling. It depends what you, what you're here to do in the world. So this has been my particular calling vocation. So it's going to be different for each person. So what happens with me is not necessarily the rule of thumb for others, you know. So I think the most important thing is, is each person has to be true to themselves. And that means really listening deeply, listening to your pain listening to your joy, listening to everything that's coming from inside, and in particular, listening to your dreams. So I was, um, I was brought up in a crucible of, um, of war. There were three wars going on when I was born. So there's a war in Northern Ireland with my mother's family um, in Ireland. Um, not necessarily a war with my mother's family, but my, my mother comes from Ireland, so there was a war in, in Northern Ireland. Uh, which only really finished, I think, the late 80s or mid 90s. And there was a terrible war. And when I was born, there's also a war in Rhodesia, a civil war in Zimbabwe. And that's where my father is from. And then there was a civil war in South Africa in terms of apartheid. So I was bo- born into this, into this culture of, of warfare. And, um, and before I was born, it was clear that my mother had to come to Africa because of the visions she had from Dublin. So her particular visions came when in the 1950s she had this great love of Africa. And she remembers walking along a pier one day and getting a vision of all these elephants coming to her. And they were African elephants. And this precipitated a, a chain of events which enabled me to become a Sangoma, which is known as as a Bantu Bandlovo, which means people of the elephant. So mm-hmm. how did a woman in the 1950s Ireland get this inspiration to travel to another continent at the other end of the world where her son becomes a medicine man in that tribe? Well, I think the fact is, is that we're all human beings and we all have red blood. And when 
when the great spirit sees that one part of the world has got the medicine to heal another part of the world, then it just the great spirit just orchestrates these events in a very mysterious but very synchronistic and very beautiful rhythmical way. So my mother had this great or still has this great love of Africa and a great love of the wilderness. And when she saw the vision of all these elephants coming to her in, in, in Ireland, she said that she wanted to go to Africa she wants to watch the, the 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 wild animals, in particular the elephants, while they were still in the states of of the wilderness before they all go. And that's what she said to me, which is quite striking in terms of that being the 1950s. And then you look into the future now and how we have a huge epidemic of poaching and how all the animals in the African bush are now under threat because of this war, this war of poaching and this war of greed, which is killing them. So it's quite um, prophetic of my mother having that particular vision in the 1950s. And now I'm at the front lines of this particular war of poaching, but also this war that people are feeling inside themselves. And this war starts inside ourselves, which is really, um, really not looking at the shadow. So when someone doesn't look at the shadow, when someone doesn't look at their grief, when they don't look at their suffering, when they don't look at their, 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 their judgments and their jealousies and their pain, what happens is that people throw it onto others and make other people responsible for their pain. And this is what's happening all over the world today. And that's why the natural world is under so much threat. So part of my work is actually rewilding people. So encouraging people to feel the inner landscape, the wilderness of their soul. And I think in that place, in the landscape of the soul, is where we connect with our bloodlines, where we connect with our ancestors. And a lot of this ancient tradition comes through in the form of dreams. So a lot of the dreams we get are mystical dreams, dreams that we have to look very carefully at. And they're not psychological dreams, although some dreams are psychological. But we have to go deeper with our dreaming. We have to go to that soulful wilderness place. And in order to do that, we have to meditate, we have to soul search, we have to really befriend those shadowy places inside ourselves that we don't want to look at. And when you do that, then you start to connect with that wild, that wild person inside of you who's actually very civilized. And that wild person is connected to the elephant, is connected to the leopard, is connected to the jaguar. So how does someone go about doing all this? Well, all people have to do is listen. And it's interesting because nowadays there's lots of talk about mindfulness and mindfulness really means listening, but there's not much listening happening in the world. So I really encourage everyone, if they're interested in mindfulness, to really practice the art of listening. <laughs> and when we do that, when we do that, when we really listen to ourselves and our hearts and our feelings, then these great dreams come. And I'm not going to promise the listener that people are going to have the same experience as me because everyone is different. It all depends what your karma is, what you're born to do. But one thing I can promise people is that when they really listen to their dreams and listen to their shadow and listen to their hearts, their life is going to become much more mystical, much more magical, much richer, and hopefully happier as well. So um, let's begin to bring people into your your story and and in in a sense the way that your ancestors and your teachers ancestors sort of dreamt you into this forbidden territory you know which you had to navigate it wasn't easy um being part of your teacher's community so would you just sort of share that piece of your story you know your dreams that get you there and her dream that recognizes you and how that sets everything up Yes, I mean, so my, my, my dream journey started a long time ago when I was 16. I started documenting these prophetic dreams. So I've had dreams my whole life, but in terms of the medicine dreams, the medicine calling that called me to become a Sangoma, it really started when I was 16 as I was just entering or I'd been on the road of puberty for a while. And it was interesting because it was the same as if you were a closer, a traditional closer, a boy or a Zulu boy. A lot of the, the the adolescent dreams would be the dreams showing you what your life path is going to be in traditional um, tribal um, areas in South Africa. But so what happened with 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 me was that um, 
in terms of meeting my teacher, I had a dream when I was 18 after doing a Zen retreat. And at that stage, I was in the South African Army. And I just experienced my first major heartache of witnessing one of my patients die. So I was in a, in a, in a great state, state of existential angst and um, suffering. And, uh, and I asked the great spirit and the angels and God and, and everything that was out there to help show me another way of healing so that I'd be able to help someone if I was ever in that situation again where someone was dying or they were in a coma and I had to pass a message on to a loved one or family member. Because every day my patient's mother asked me if, if her son was going to live or die. And I was only 18 and I used to feel his, his, his pulse points. And I felt that he was, he was, he was dying. But I said to her, he's going to live because I knew that's what she needed to hear. But eventually the nursing staff and the family decided to pull the plug from the machines and to let him die gracefully. And that's when I was taking all his vitals, the signs, and, and I started watching him die. And, um, so that was a turning point for me, and I made this prayer, please, God, show me another form of healing that will enable me to help someone in this situation again in the future. And then what happened was um, two weeks later, I started – a friend of mine introduced me to Zen meditation, and I started practicing Zen meditation from the Japanese system. I started practicing with an absolute fervor like a soldier. And then my first retreat, probably a couple of months later – after that retreat, I had a very, very profound dream, and I was sleeping, and I felt I had entered another world. And in that dream, I saw what I I documented as a as an African witch doctor because I didn't know the culture at that stage. And I saw this man with very, very shiny, diamond-like eyes and beautiful dark skin and all these herbs around him and animal skins. And I looked at him in the dream, and I said to him, in fact, it didn't feel like a dream. It felt so real. And I asked him to please show me how to understand nature, how to understand suffering so that I could heal people. And he was very quiet. He didn't say anything. And I asked him three times. And after the third time, he said to me, in order for me to teach you my ways or the ways of my culture, you're going to get very, very sick because that is the way in our culture that in order for you to learn these ways, you're going to come close to death. And I said to him, I've already been close to death and I've witnessed untold suffering and I'm only 18. And unless you teach me, my life is going to be over. And I've also just put my dog down that I was really in love with my whole, you know, for, for the last eight years. So he was quiet. And then the next thing, there was a vision that appeared in front of me and it was a vision of the future. And everything happened in terms of that, that vision it came to pass. Mm-hmm. Five years into the future. And, um, and the next thing I woke up with all these boils over my legs. And, uh, and I was happy because I realized that he had accepted to, to train me. So now this was the dream experience, but the physical experience was that, yes, I got all these illnesses for seven years, but I wasn't able to find a physical teacher until apartheid ended. And then I, I'd gone to South Korea. I'd been a Zen student and possibly a Zen monk. And then I'd return back to South Africa looking for a teacher. And then to shorten the story, because it's a long story, which is why I've written the book. Um, the night before I met my teacher, she had a dream where she said the great spirit came to her and said to her she needed to prepare herself to train someone from another culture to become a senior Sangoma like herself. And then the next day I came through her gates with my girlfriend at the time and my closer friend who was helping to interpret for me. And she said I was the one that she had to train. And then when she sat down and gave me the divination, she started speaking about the last seven years and what I went through in terms of the illness, the Twaza illness, and how extreme it was and how sick I'd got and how close I'd come to death. And then she looked at me and she said, what, she said to me in Krosa, what took you so long to come to me? And I said to her, apartheid, mom, apartheid. Because for the listener, people must realize that there was suffering on both sides of the fence during apartheid. Um, 
white and black people and uh, white people were not allowed in the townships unless they were police or military. Otherwise, they'd be arrested. So my situation was very strong because I got this African illness and I needed to be healed by an African medicine person. And because I couldn't, I came very close to death. So I said to my teacher, it was apartheid, and she said, Ah, Tikpawa, Nkosiya, my Tikpawa, Nkosiya. She said, Oh God, oh God, we almost lost you. And a, and a tear went sliding down her cheek. And she looked at me and I looked at her. And that was the moment, you know, that was, that was it, you know. And then she said to me, Do you want to become my apprentice? I can train you. I've dreamt about it. Would you like to become my apprentice? And then I can give you your first white beads. And then I was afraid and I said, what does it mean to become your apprentice? What does it mean to become a Sangoma? And she said, to become a Sangoma means you're going to stop being so sick with a calling illness, with the Twaza, and ancestors are going to be working through you and you're going to be able to heal people in all different ways. So I thought, that sounded like a good plan. So I said, okay, I agree. I'll become your apprentice. So she said, okay, wonderful. So then tomorrow you can come with your, and I'll give you your first white beads. So I, I said to her, okay, um, I will accept to be your apprentice, but under one condition. And she said, okay, what is that? I said, under the condition that you train me as if I'm a crosser man, don't cut any corners for me. Don't make things easy for me. And she said, okay. That's the only way to train you. So, of course. So, um, so then the next dream that she received as part of this, this process of bringing me into this ancient way was about three weeks later, she had a dream where her ancestors came through her and told her that she must call me Utlingolindaba, which is a very, very old, also word for a medicine person. And it means the messenger. Or the, or the bridge, the communicator, the person who communicates and bridges people over long distances. So she told me the dream and then she gathered a number of a small band of Sangomas who were in the area and they all sang and danced and they said it was a very auspicious name. And they said the ancestors have a lot of work ahead for me that I'm going to be very busy and it's very auspicious. And at that stage, I was only 25 or 26, and I didn't have a clue because I'd just been to South Korea once, and I traveled to Ireland a few times to visit my mother's family. And that was the sum total of all my traveling. And since then, I've, I've traveled the world. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. So what I wanted to just talk about here at the, you know, the beginning of the show is it been – trying to help people understand the distinction between this kind of calling, which obviously is crossing lines that in, in some people's minds would be considered forbidden. And, and you do a beautiful job in the book talking about how this wasn't easy just because this happened. It didn't mean everybody thought, oh, this is a great idea. And, and how you managed that and how you and your teacher worked with that and, and, and how the distinction then between what has been effectively a cultural exchange driven by the ancestors versus some kind of um, either fool's journey or commerce-driven kind of appropriation. And that that this this conversation is such a hotbed and not usually uh, engaged in at a very deep level. And I think... I would like to just to hear you talk about, you know, what does it mean to carry this lineage and to have earned <laughs> through years of work, you know, the right to carry that name you've been given and the right to tell these stories and how that's different from appropriation. I think the right I have is that I'm a human being. That's it. That's my right. Mm-hmm. And I feel that nowadays there's lots of judgment and yet at the same time there's lots of speech about mindfulness, but there's no real listening. And I think if someone really listened to me for five minutes without judgment, with an open heart, with an open mind, then there would be no questions about who I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if people want to speak shamanism and spirituality, they need to start listening, listening mm-hmm. to the wind, listening to their hearts, 
listening to one another. That's shamanism. But when someone is saying you're wrong and making judgments, that's not kind. It's not shamanism. And it's not spiritual. And they're not listening. Yeah. 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 And this is what we need to encourage people to do is to start listening, really listening, listening to your heart, listening to the wind, listening to your animals, listening to the water. Because if you don't, the war is going to continue because each person is responsible for the war that's happening around the world. And the way we can stop that is through listening and showing actions of kindness. Mm-hmm. And kindness to our own shadow selves. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. so I mean, I've, I say who I am. I've expressed it many times. And if people are not listening, I can't force them to listen. If people want to judge me for the color of my skin, where we come from, that's called racism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's no discussion about that. If you are judging someone for the color of their skin, that's pure racism. Because I have the same calling as if someone has black skin. But at the end of the day, if you speak to the elders or medicine keepers around the world, They will all say the same thing. It does not matter what color your skin is. What matters is your vision and your calling and what message you have. And if people look at the color of my skin but do not listen to what I'm saying, then that's just pure racism and there's no conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a for me, at least in my own. As you said, you know, we each have our own experience. That I am constantly reminded by spirit that there's one family, and that we, are, like you said, and your teacher said, you know, we all bleed red, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and and so so yes, I mean, I just yes to your work and to your your journey and to your story. Um, it is a it is a really beautiful example of how this this crossing of paths is being asked for, you know, by the ancestors, and and it's it is uh, in everyone's best interest that we follow, even though it appears um, problematic at points. So. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I need to say that there's different kinds of separation and prejudice. I mean, the word apartheid means separation, and it's a curse. So I was brought up in this cultural curse. So no one needs to speak to me about racism or separation or discrimination because I know it intimately. Mm -hmm. That is something that I've come into this world to help heal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, separation, I left South Africa thinking that South Africa is the only country which has this vicious form of apartheid of discrimination. But when I traveled around the world, I've seen apartheid and discrimination everywhere in the most hidden ways, in the most disgusting ways, in the most the most um, contrived ways. And I'm saying through my work, enough, yeah. enough. We need to stop this. And everyone is responsible. Everyone is responsible. I mean, you know, in South Africa, I mean, in Ireland, for example, before I was born, my, um, my mother is Irish and my father is a foreign man from Zimbabwe. And my mother is Catholic and my father is Protestant, although he's not religious. And before my mother married my father, my grandmother was a little bit concerned because my mother was marrying a Protestant man. Can you imagine that? How crazy is that? <laughs> Nowadays, we know that's crazy. And God love my grandmother. She was from a different era in Ireland. But let me tell you, that was a serious thing in Ireland for a woman to marry or a man to marry someone who is not Catholic or not Protestant. Mm-hmm. I, was, I mean, is that not silly? Is that not preposterous? Is that not ridiculous? You know, and if we're going to speak about different cultures and different ways, there's a lot of indigenous healers from Siberia and from Europe and other places who've got white skin and who are also in poverty. So, you know, the world is full of mixtures, it's full of intrigue, it's full of mystery, it's full of confusion. And by listening, we are able to filter the confusion from the truth. Mm. Thank you, John. Yeah, thank you. It's just so wonderful to just sit here and let someone else say these things. <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of I'm kind of fiery about it, Christina, no. just because my life. I'm Absolutely. sick of this judgment. I'm sick of prejudice, and I really feel that people need to stand up 
for what they believe in, which is human kindness, they need to stand up for that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, John, what I'd like you to do now, if you're willing, is to speak a little bit to, as you've traveled around, speak a little bit to what is unique about the ways that you're trained in and being a Sangoma. How is it unique and different from what people expect? Okay. One of the the, the unique points and one of the ways that I feel very privileged to to have been trained in this way is that it's a living ancestral tradition. So it goes back hundreds and thousands of years without any break, which means that when I'm singing in the Kosa language, I'm calling in those ancestors down the lineage that I'm trained in. And it happens like water. It happens very quickly and it's very strong. And the other thing in terms of the shamanic lineage that I'm, I'm, I'm apprenticed in, you don't decide to become a shaman or a sangoma because you like the beads or the way it looks. You have to be called through the dreams and then the elders have to give the go-ahead. So you don't just walk in there and say, train me. So this is one of the reasons why there can't be cultural appropriation because a lot of people don't want to become sangomas in South Africa because it is so difficult, because we get this twas or this calling illness, which is the mark of indigenous shamanism around the world. So this is what makes it a little bit different is that it's very edgy being a Sangoma because it's very painful and you don't decide to be one. You you basically become one because you're healing your own illness, which is this twas or this calling illness. So this is what makes it different to other traditions around the world. So when I'm working, I mean, sorry, it makes it different to more um, Western-style shamanism mm-hmm. Um, but it's quite very similar. The, the practice that I'm bringing, I find very similar to indigenous forms of shamanism, like from Nepal or from Siberia or from, from the jungle in, say, um, South America. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I think what is required from people who, who, who do these practices or who learn, um, is people have to be patient and people have to listen to their dreams and there's no quick fix, you know. We don't work with, um, we don't work with, with, with hallucinogenic medicine from South Africa. There is hallucinogenic medicine, but it's not something we give to the public. So the way we help heal people is through plant medicine, but it's not hallucinogenic medicine, like I say. Mm-hmm. And we also help heal people through dancing and singing. So wherever I go, I have this particular rhythm inside of me and I will get everyone to sing and dance in a particular way, which helps to facilitate what we call the Umbellini energy. Now, this Umbellini energy is similar to the Kundalini energy that is, which has been popular, popularized in India. And this Kundalini, or let me say Umbellini energy, is what opens the soles of the feet and helps connect people to the earth and also helps connect people to their bones and their ancestors. So the other thing I can say in terms of Southern African spirituality or shamanism, um, there's a great focus on ancestors. So I talk a lot about ancestors. And what I'm talking about is actually the human family. And in Buddhism, we talk about the three jewels, which is the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And the third jewel is the Sangha, which means humanity. So one of the things that African spirituality or in terms of Southern African Sangoma culture is very focused on the third jewel, which is the Sangha, which is humanity, which is the bones, which is your ancestors. So if there's a problem in a family or group of people, the first thing we'll say is what is happening to your connection with your humanity, with your ancestors, with your grandparents, what is happening to that connection? And that is what we work on to heal with people. And once that's healed, then people receive dreams from their loved ones over the waters. And when they start to receive these dreams, it starts to help heal the living as well as the dead. And it also starts to help heal the the natural environment. Beautiful. All right. So let's talk then a bit about the book itself. Um, I think your question, you know, how can I bring ancient African Sangoma wisdom to people who are not connected to traditional shamanic culture? Um, and then your work, but also this book seems to be a living response to that. So, 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 
what was your answer to this question? I mean, let's talk about what's in the book and, and what you came to see as, as how do you choose through this practice to respond to that question of how do I do this with these people? Yes, so what happened was uh, in, in 2007, I finished my 10-year apprenticeship and then I was invited I was invited overseas, I was invited to England and, and then back to Ireland. And the circle closed when I was invited to a book launch with a very close friend who was my mentor, uh, my Irish mentor with dancing. She was my dance therapy mentor. And I went to her book launch in Waterford in Ireland. And I drum, someone drummed for me, a very well-known, quite famous Irish musician drummed for me. And I was able to go into trance. So I went into trance and all this energy came off me. And then this lady came to me and she said to me, um, she said to me, can I help heal her son? Um, her grand, sorry, her, her, her daughter's um, boyfriend. And, um, he had just broken his neck and he was in intensive care units in the Martyr Hospital in, in Dublin. So I said, I wasn't sure and I'll see what I could do. But anyway, what I'm saying is it closed the circle because I realized when I was at, I was at James's side and I was able to use all these techniques that I've been trained and all this heat came off me. I was able to bring him out of this kind of trauma state that he was in. I realized then that um, it was the end of this cycle of, of, of learning from when my client died, my patient died, you know, over 10 years or 15 years previously in that medical hospital. And um, it started this meditation and, and contemplation of, of how to bring this medicine into the West. And when I started working on the book, I was very careful about not bringing and not teaching or sharing very, very sacred things that we do amongst the Sangormas because it's, it's, well, I just felt I couldn't do that. But I spoke to my elders and I said, can I teach the people? I, I wanted to see basically what, I just need to go back a bit, sorry. I wanted to see what is the illness in the West? And the illness in the West, I felt, was this complete disregard for people's ancestors and not able to connect with your ancestors and also not able to connect with your dreams. So, and not able to or not being aware of how to pray in a very indigenous and you could say traditional way. So I went back to my teacher and I had a number of dreams during this time and I had my meetings with my elders and I said to them, this is the illness in the West. This is what I'm seeing. And can I share some of the teachings that we have here in terms of connecting with our, our ancestors and connecting with our dreams? Can I share some of this with people overseas so that they too can connect with their ancestors, so that they too can dream? And 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 my elders said, yes, of course, yes, yes, we agree. And I said to their mama, I said, mother, I said to my teacher, the people overseas they don't dream about their ancestors. They don't know who their ancestors are. And all the elders were quiet. Everyone was quiet. And they didn't know what to say to me. They said, what? They don't know their ancestors? And I said, hi, mama. Hi, hi. No, 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 mother. They don't know their ancestors. They don't know their dreams. They have no connection with their bones, with their people over the waters. And all the elders were quiet. Because for us in South Africa to not know your ancestors or to connect with your ancestors is seen as something so terrible, it's beyond words. So I said to my elders, can I use some of the ways that you've taught me just to help people to connect with the ancestors so they can pray to the ancestors so they can dream again? And my elders said unanimously, yes, of course, Dingo, yes. So my book is a bit of a memoir where I talk about my journey and I go through some of the rituals in me becoming a Sangoma, which isn't a lot of anthropological books, by the way, in South Africa. So it's not a secret. Um, and all I've done as a Sangoma is talk about why we do certain things in terms of plant medicine and working with animals and these kinds of things and blood sacrifice, which is a big thing. I explain it and I try to demystify it because one of the biggest problems during apartheid and what led to apartheid was ignorance. And ignorance feeds fear, fear feeds anger, 
anger feeds resentment. This is what feeds war. So I felt that it's very, very important for me to write about the sacredness of the culture and why we do certain things and why it is sacred that the blood of the land has to be shared with the blood of animals and why it's important and why we do it. So when I was writing the book, I wanted to share some of these points. And then I came up with the way of the leopard, which is a new term. And it's not something we will refer to in South Africa. And the way of the leopard for me is really about helping people to become wild again, helping people to connect with their senses, with their spines, with, with their sense of intuition, with their sense of wildness. And I'm using the leopard because the leopard is one of the most holy or sacred animals for us as traditional African healers because the, the leopard represents nobility of spirit. It represents a creature that is completely in harmony with the natural world and the spirit world and also a creature that is completely independent, that doesn't have to rely on any other creature, completely moves in this harmonious fluid state between through the natural world. So that's why I felt the leopard is such a noble creature and every chieftain or traditional elder would have um, either real leopard skin and because of poaching being a problem they would have imitation leopard skin draped around their shoulders because of this nobility and you'll even see the South African president um, who's a Zulu man using the leopard skins when he's doing sacred rituals to his ancestors. So I I called it the way of the leopard to help rewild people through their connection to nature through their connection to their bones and their ancestors and their dreams. And in so doing, hopefully, help inspire people to find out what their gifts are in this world so that they can bring forth some service and some some good action into the world. And so um, is a belief that everyone has that particular gift to bring a a piece of the traditions? Yes. Yes. It's seen that everyone has a calling or a vision. So that's why amongst the Kosa people, we're very lucky that there's still, there's still male initiation rituals for young boys or teenage boys before they become men, like around the age of 18. And, um, they will go into the forest for two or three weeks. I mean, sorry, three, three to six weeks they will go and, and their time then is to, to get some dreams for their life so that they know what they are here to do, what the job is for their ancestors, what, what job the ancestors have given them to do in this lifetime. So, um, that's why dreams are so important because when we are connecting with our dreams, we are connecting with our soul. We are connecting with our immortality and then we are connecting with our purpose and our calling in the world. So if I could use Buddhism, you could say the Buddha also says that that our purpose in this life is to find our purpose. Beautiful. All right. So in the book, there are there is a section that is practices, right, that people can – can be inspired by the stories and the teachings and the deep understanding there, but there are also practices for people to engage. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, why don't you share, like, uh, is, there, is there one of the practices perhaps that you could share that someone could be, you know, inspired right now by listening and could just begin this particular thing in their life Um right now because they're so inspired by listening. Yes. Uh, the one practice which I love is the heartbeat meditation. And so it, all it is is just sitting quietly wherever you are and then just bring your hand onto your heart or just maybe you can feel your heartbeat wherever you are and just close your eyes. Take a nice deep breath in and cross your legs. And just feel your own heartbeat. And then let go into the spaces between each of your heartbeats. Just let go into that space. 
And the most important is to love your own heartbeat, just to enjoy it. Feel your heartbeat like surfing a wave at sea. Sometimes the wave is strong. Sometimes the wave is small. Sometimes you can hardly even feel the wave, but you know it's there. The same as with our own heartbeat. Now I can feel my heartbeat strongly. And now I'm diving into the spaces between each of my heartbeats. And then when you're doing this, the next thing you can do is feel your breath as a wind moving inside your body. And welcome the wind from outside in the nature around you. Welcome that wind inside of you so that you are perpetually in communication with the natural world. So where I'm sitting now in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado, I'm looking outside the window and I see the wind moving through the trees. I see the leaves moving. I see the wind. And I welcome the wind into my own body. I breathe that wind in. So the wind from outside is now connecting with me inside. And then I just make a prayer to the Great Spirit. Please show me, help me to find my destiny. Please show me my vision of my life purpose. Help me to connect more deeply with my life purpose. And so be it. As they say in um, one of the old languages, Inshallah, which I love, is I think it's an old um, Islamic saying. Inshallah means by the grace of God, by the grace of Allah. <laughs> mm, beautiful. So, John, what what is your sense of um, a possible future? If people were to learn to listen and were to to connect with their ancestors and their dreams in in a big way, so let's imagine that the majority of humanity on the planet actually repairs this disconnect and uses practices to continue and to to grow in these relationships with their dreams and with their ancestors and with nature. So what would that possible future look like for us in your mind? Well, people have to learn this. They have to. I mean, it's very important for people to start learning to listen. So the way I see it is that people will become a lot more creative, a lot more intelligent. And what I like to speak about, since I've written the book, I've been speaking about what I call the default state of the human being. And the default state is the natural state of a human being before technology, before imperialism, before war. And that natural state is a very, very intelligent creature, is a very open-hearted creature, is a, is a very multidimensional creature that is open to the dream states, the cosmic states, and open to the natural world, the spirits of the land, and the stones, the, the plants, the birds. So when we start connecting with a heart center and really listening to our hearts, we start entering what I call the default state to the human being, which is a very loving creature. You know, Nelson Mandela said when he was released from prison, he, he, he was a changed man, like a saint. And he said to people, it's easier for a human being to love than to hate. It takes a lot of energy to hate, but it's much easier for a human being to love. So part of this work is to really help people to open their hearts, to listen and to love. And then it's going to be a chain reaction in the sense that we're going to have more of a harmonious relationship with one another, with ourselves, and also with the natural world. So I, with vision the natural world becoming wilder, where poaching is not an issue anymore, where there's a lot of wild animals and where they are loved and held with great respect. And this can only happen when the consciousness of the human being transforms back to the natural state of love, harmony, and openness. Um, so, if you would... Just kind of check in, perhaps, with your ancestors and see if there's something that needs to be spoken here today that we haven't gotten to yet. Something that 
that needs or wants to be said? Well, I've been speaking a lot about the shadow, and we did mention it here previously. And I feel that nowadays in the Western world, is people are afraid of their shadows, and then they're blaming other people for it. So if anything, I could just reiterate that this is very, very important work. And instead of blaming your president or blaming the politicians or blaming your partner or whoever else, it's very, very important that people look inside themselves. And the shadow is just those unacknowledged parts of ourselves, those parts of ourselves which are suffering, which are full of anxiety, which are full of fear, Maybe that you you don't like to 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 seem moany or you don't like to see anx- seem anxious or anything like that, and it's really important for us to love that part of ourselves so um I'm just thinking in some aspects of the shadow, for example, like shadow seems so dark, but it's not really because that's where we get our strength. If someone doesn't have a shadow or doesn't portray a shadow, I'm worried. Because I can't, I don't know who I'm dealing with. So the shadow actually helps to ground us into our humanity. So one of those aspects of the shadow could be, let me think, just, yeah, just those anxious sides of ourselves, which, which isn't being expressed or which we, we want to always be smiley and happy. And, and we don't have to be because it's not really being authentic. So it's really a call for us to feel our suffering, actually, because in the Sangoma tradition, that's how we become at Sangoma, is through basically accepting our illness, accepting our suffering. That's how we become Sangomas. So I want to say to everyone out there, look at your wounds and love your wounds. How are you suffering right now? Don't make a drama out of it. Don't talk about it as such. Just feel it. Just like the leopard, when the leopard's going through the bush and it hurts its paw, it has to lick it clean, it has to notice it, it has to focus all its energy on that one element which is hurting it because otherwise it can die. So it's with us, we need to look at that part of us which is wounded, which is suffering, and it might be emotional, physical, whatever it is, but we cannot ignore it. We have to focus on that. Beautiful. John, thank you so much for, one, being with us here today. I'm really grateful for you joining us again here. And I I also, yeah, and I want to thank you for your work and for your traveling and for your teaching and for the time it takes to write such a beautiful book and and all of that dedication to a path that's not easy. So thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christina. Yeah. And I, I want to remind people, um, in terms of people wanting to reach out to you and get information, should they just go to the website, johnlockley.com? Yes, yes. Yeah. Everything's on the website because sometimes people email me and I'll just say it's all on the website. So, yeah. um, cause I'm just a one man show, you know, I don't have an organization mm-hmm. around me yet. I'm just on my own. So it's much easier for them to get all the information they need from the website or the YouTube videos, whatever. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, I definitely understand the one-man show <laughs> dilemma. <laughs> and then um, for the book, Leopard Warrior, and the accompanying audio piece, they can go to soundstrue.com and purchase yes. it. I believe it's yes. available now. I mean, I'm holding yes. on to it. So, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, it's available now. Well, they can go onto my website, and then my website has a direct link to the Sounds True website. Um, I've got an affiliate link from my website. So, so it does help if they go onto my website. <laughs> oh, good, yeah. And it's important yeah. for people to pay attention to that. This isn't, it isn't an easy path for a whole lot of reasons. <laughs> so yes. It's nice to do every little bit. Really, really does help. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I just encourage them to go onto my website, look around. If they have any suggestions or feedback, they can email me. And then if they'd like to purchase the book, they can just do it from, from the banner at the top of my website, which says Leopard Warrior. Just click on that and you can get it. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. Well, thank you, John, and may you you um, travel well and be in good health, and um, may the audiences be rich and abundant, and may they listen. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you and your ancestors and your teachers' ancestors and this whole huge family of humanity for continuing <laughs> to do their best to work through us to get us to understand what it is we need to understand and do what we've come here to do. So we give great thanks to the ancestors for gathering around us and being with us. We give deep gratitude to the earth below and the sky above. An enormous gratitude to the human heart for it unites us all. So I want to thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks again to you, John. And, yeah, and remind everyone you can get John's information and his book through johnlockley.com. You can come to lastmaskcenter.org for information about classes, the online opportunities that are starting in 2018 for some of the teachings, and also registration for Masks of Illusion for 2018, the in-person retreats. It's all there um, at lastmaskcenter.org. And, of course, the archives for Why Shamanism Now are at whyshamanismnow.com, free and available as long as you can get there to the Internet. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a wonderful week.